You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Good morning. Welcome. If you're here with us, thank you so much for being here. If you're watching online, we're so glad that you're taking the time to do that. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Bert. I'm one of the pastors here. And guys, thank you so much for uh, worshiping with us today. And man, you picked a good week for it, too. Not just because there's cupcakes. I hope you got some of those. Everybody get a cupcake outside? Some of you are like, no, I'm on a diet. Well, we're so thankful for you. Anyway. <laughs> the coffee's good. Yeah. Um, anyway, I had to. I'm no, just kidding. Um, we're kicking off, that's not why. Since we're kicking off a brand new series today, and it's called this right here, A Kingdom Without a Kingdom. And I just want to, it was in the announcements. I just, I've, I've got to say it again, okay? If you have a little one in here with you, I don't see any, but just to be clear, or if you're watching online and the kids are in the room and they're small, this is not a kid's talk because how many of you guys know, if you read the Bible, it is not a PG book, you know? And we're going to be talking about one of those times where you're like, oh, man, this is really not a PG book. So, you know, just brace yourself. Now, here's what we're doing, okay? We're kicking off a brand new series where we're going to be going through the book of 1 Samuel. I, I don't know why, but I just believe like this is where the Lord, like he wants just to see some things in this book. And so we're going to go through it as a church. And this book is epic, man. I mean, you got battles. You've got like the most, one of the most famous stories in the Bible coming up down the line, David versus Goliath. I mean, you got heads getting cut off. You have all kinds of like treachery. You've got drama. Like HBO has nothing on this book, okay? And, and as we go into it, what I wanted us to do was understand the climate spiritually of the nation of Israel where this story takes place so we can get the most out of our time going through 1 Samuel. Because as we look at this guy for whom the book is named, Samuel, here's what we learn about him. In 1 Samuel 7.15, it says this, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And it's not saying that he judged like a hypocrite or like a you know, like conceited person. Um, here's, here's what this means, okay? So the idea of being a judge is, is a particular, it, it's a position of authority that existed in ancient Israel. And so um, it had, it's not like a legal thing. It's not like, okay, like you go to a court and there's a judge there. A judge was a military leader or a tribal leader that, that happened in Israel before, uh, before there were kings. And so what I want to do as we talk about Samuel is understand that he was the last judge, and I want to get what that is. I mean, I think about like, you know, maybe you've seen like maybe like The Last Jedi or say, Welcome Back, all right? Or maybe like, you know, like like The Last Samurai or The the Last of the Mohicans with Daniel Day-Lewis. Remember that movie? Anybody else? Remember that? Like, just stay alive. Remember that? No? Okay. I got a million of them. So look. All right. But imagine like you didn't know what a Jedi was when you went to that movie or you, you didn't know what a Samurai was or you didn't know what a Mohican was. I mean, that's just weird. But okay, like, okay. Like, you would watch it, and you'd be like, okay. But if you knew, like, Jedi's the easiest because they're made up. Like, if you knew what a Jedi was, and you saw Luke Skywalker, and he's, like, using the Force, and rocks were lifting, you'd be like, oh, sweet, okay? But if you didn't, you'd be like, was he a telepath? I don't understand what's happening. So what I want us to do is understand who the judges were. And so when it says, like, that Samuel's the last one, you understand what that means. Now, just a little bit of Bible trivia for you. If you want to know about the judges, conveniently, they're found in this book right here. Judges. And, and Judges is a neat book. 
Because it's the story of Israel's total failure to follow God. It is. I mean, like, if you want just like a little bit of Bible history, here's what you need to know. Okay, so the Israelites, they're you know, the, the, the descendants of Abraham, right? And they, and they go into Egypt, and then they fall into slavery there. Maybe you know the story, right? God raises up Moses. And there's the whole let my people go thing. There's epic plagues. And finally, Pharaoh's like, okay, I guess. And they go out into the, the wilderness there, and God delivers it. You know, parts of the Red Sea. They go into the wilderness. They're in the wilderness for 40 years as God takes them to the promised land, the land of Cana, or not Cana, Canaan, all right, welcome back, Bert, all right, so look, all right, all right, and then you got the story of Joshua, right, and Joshua, it was Moses' assistant who becomes the leader of Israel after, after Moses dies, and there's all these stories, like big battles, you know, like Joshua with the, with the, the battle of Jericho, and the walls came a-tumbling down, you know, and there's all these great things, like, that happen in Joshua, and Judges begins with the death of Joshua, and what happens is, okay, they go into the land, and God tells them, drive out all the Canaanites. Drive out all the people who are living in this land that I'm promising to you, because if you leave them there, you will be overtaken by their immorality and godlessness. You'll become just like them. You know, well, how bad could they possibly be? Well, fun fact for you, the Canaanites were people who religiously would burn their own children to death as a means of worship. So not great. And so, and so what happens is God says, Let's get, get them all out of there. And in Judges, we find out they didn't do it. They didn't do it. And so if, like, if you want to begin to understand, so like, they're living in this land, and they don't have a, a united ruler. They're Israelites, but it's not like there's a king of, of Israel. So basically what happened was they're the 12 tribes of Israel, and they function kind of like colonies or commonwealths where they exist side by side, but there's no united leadership. Like, so you, know, you might have people from the tribe of Levi. Okay, well, the Levites rule the Levites. And you got people from the tribe of Benjamin. Well, the Benjamites rule the Benjamites. And so it's not like one recognized authority. Instead, it's like all these little individual tribes that are living together in the same land. And Judges goes, yeah, and they stink at it. And so here, like, Judges actually tells like a story. It's almost like, of course, you've watched the toilet flush, all right? You know, like when the toilet flushes, like water just swirls down and down and down. And down. That's Judges, all right? So, for instance, here's like the cycle that Judges says. So, here, let's visual illustration here. So, we'll, we'll clear this off here. All right, so, so you've got like, let's, let's say, for instance, like the Israelites, God's provided for them, and always what happens is they get comfortable and they sin. All right, so here's the first part of it, okay? They do something, they imitate the customs of the Canaanites, and so they, they decide like, to worship the gods of the Canaanites. They decide to live like the Canaanites. And what happens? Well, like God, just so you know, and you should just know this, God doesn't bless disobedience. Like, just in case you're aware, you're like, I'll do my thing. God will be cool with it. Nope. Like he loves you enough to break you. Just fun fact for you. All right. And so that's exactly what happens. And so, so they, they'll sin, and then as a result, God brings in oppression. All right. And what happens, like, he'll give them over to their enemies. He'll stop protecting them so that they'll be raided. And then as they're oppressed by their enemies, what happens is, well, they repent. All right? Because, you know, they're like, oh, shoot, we did it wrong. God, would you help us? And God goes, yeah. Yeah, I will. And to this point, that he'll, typically what he does is he raises up a deliverer, okay? And this is who the judges were. The judges were people that basically God would raise up among the Israelites to deliver them from the oppression that they brought on themselves, all right? And so then, here's what happened. The, the judge would show up, he'd deliver them, and they'd go, oh, that's great, and they'd have peace. And they'd go, oh, man, isn't peace so nice? Oh, guys, so good to be alive. And then they'd forget why they were alive. And it would lead right back to sin. And over and over and over it goes. 
And Judges says like this. Um, and we, we, we can clear this off. That's, that's fine. All right. So Judges says it like this in Judges 2. Like just sort of summing it up before you get into the book. It says, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. Four, the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who uh, afflicted and oppressed them. But, it says, whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods and serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. And so that's the idea of judges. And so when judges starts out, you've got some okay judges, like some pretty decent people. You know, um, you got people like Gideon, who's a coward, and he's got he's flawed, but like you know, he's not the worst. And it's just, and you get people like Deborah, or you get people like Elihu, who are these great judges. They're they're people, they're men and women of integrity. It's awesome. Yeah, women. It's pretty cool. All right. So then, so then. As time goes on, it's this spiral. And so then it goes from pretty good judges to okay judges to really the worst. I mean, just like, like and it sort of culminates in this guy named Samson. Maybe you've heard of Samson, like get, God gave him supernatural strength as long as his hair wasn't cut, you know that story? And Samson has a penchant for the ladies and he, he trusts the, the wrong lady. She cuts his hair and, you know, it's this, it's this crazy, awesome, cool story. But the, the idea is simply this, okay? Like it goes from good to okay to bad to the worst. That's, that's the book of Judges. And you have these sections of the book. And as you get to the end of Judges, that's what we're going to focus in on today. It begins to talk about the spiritual climate of Israel, who the people were, the way that they were living. So it shifts from leadership to the people. And I want us to see this thing. Because like when it talks about Samuel arriving and we're going to get to that next week, I want you to understand what Samuel is arriving into. So I'm going to tell you one of the most messed up stories in the Bible. Ready? No kids? Great. Here we go. So look. So long about Judges 19, we're not there yet, but like long about Judges 19, it tells the story of an unnamed Levite. There's this guy who basically, like, he's from the tribe of Levi, and he has a, what's called a concubine. Now, a concubine is basically a wife without any of the protections of a wife. It's essentially, it's a woman who, uh, you know, she has the benefits with, with the quote-unquote husband, but she's not given, like, blessings or protection or provision. So she's there, but she's not quite a wife, and she's kind of a servant, but not. And by the way, this is forbidden in Israelite law. Like, you're not supposed to do this, but they've picked this up from, you guessed it, the Canaanites. And so you've got this unnamed Levite and this woman who is his concubine, and drama of drama, she cheats on him. And she goes, All right, I don't know what happened in their relationship, but okay, that's what she did. And guess what? He finds out that she cheated. And then she finds out that she, he found out that she cheated. And so she flees. She goes like, so he lives in this place called Ephraim. She's from Bethlehem. She goes back home to her dad in, in, in Bethlehem to try and like, just, you know, save herself, protect herself. And her, her master husband, I mean, it's just, it's a weird dynamic, okay, decides to pursue her. And he goes down to Bethlehem too. And, and when he does, what he, like, he meets up with her father there and he basically, you know, pounds on the door. He's like, give me my woman. Not, not, not per, like prescribing that. Okay, like just know that, by the way, there are stories in the Bible that are descriptive, not prescriptive. They tell you about events, but they don't want you to repeat them. All right, so he's like, give me my woman, and her dad comes out, he's like, hey, man, which, okay, dad. And he's like, hey, yeah, she's here, but you know what? Um, how about, how about, you, know, you you've had a long journey. How about we just have like a nice glass of wine, kick back, relax for a little bit, and then, uh, then you can go, and he's like, I do like, okay, sure. So, so they get to drinking, goes through the night, passes out, wakes up in the morning, got a bit of a hangover, 
And he goes, all right, man, that was crazy last night. All right, give me my woman. We're going home. And the dad's like, man, look, you've got such a long journey ahead of you. How about you have a drink? Kick back, relax just a little bit, and, and then you can go in the morning. And he's like, well, I do like, I, I do like the, the sauce. Okay, so, 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 he, so he drinks some more. Same thing happens. Like, they get into a razor, he's partying, he's, and then passes out, wakes up in the morning again. And this goes on for days. Like, the dad just gets him. Like, like, so, I mean, he, like he knows his number. He knows his weakness. So, okay, they, they just keep, they keep drinking every night. And finally, the guy, the guy who went down there, oh, by the way, he didn't go down there by himself. I don't know why this is important, but it keeps coming up in the story that he went down with a male servant and two donkeys. The author of Judges wants you to know that. Why not? So, anyway. So anyway, he finally he gets up, and he's like, all right, I'm leaving. I'm taking my male servant and two donkeys and your daughter, and we're going home. And that's like, you really should say, I'm not staying. So they go, and they leave, and they're, and, they're, and they're on the road, like taking a long path back to Ephraim, where they're from, and it's getting dark. And so they're like, well, I guess we, we need to stay somewhere. Well, should we stay here? No, we're not going to stay there. So they find this place, okay, and it's this place uh, called Gibeah. And so here's what it says in Judges 19, verse 14. It says, and the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. So this is in, like, under the domain of the tribe of Benjamin, okay? And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night in Gibeah. And he went in and sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. So let me just explain what's happening, okay? So in the ancient Near East where Judges takes place, they did not have hotels, all right? So let's say you're traveling, and you need a place to sleep for the night. Well, most towns had what was called a square. And it was a place in the middle of the town where basically it was a place of provision and protection for travelers where they could rest. And especially because this is Middle Eastern hospitality, usually what would happen is if you saw somebody, like, resting there, you'd invite them into your home. Like, hey, you, like, you're displaced, like, come with me. And so that's what the expectation, especially among Israelites. You would think if you're staying in, in, this, in the square and you're an Israelite, another Israelite's going to see you and be like, come with me. But they're, they're sitting out there, and it's creepy. Like, nobody's inviting them home. In fact, people are, like, walking by and looking at them. I mean, like, it's got this real, like, like, backwoods, creepy feel. You know what I'm saying? Like, just there's something off, all right? And so, and so finally, finally this guy comes uh, up to them, and, and he ha- just happens to be another Levite. And so he, he walks up, he's like, where are you guys from? We're from Ephraim. No way! I used to live in Ephraim. So, well, listen, why don't, you, why don't you come home with me? Oh, thank you, great. So they go to this other Levite's house, and man, they're, they're kicking back, they're relaxing, it's getting late, and it says this in Judges 19.22. It says, while they were enjoying themselves, some wicked men of the city surrounded the house. Pounding on the door, they <laughs> shouted to the old man who owned the house, bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. Now, just to clarify, this is not a homosexuality thing. This is a rape thing. Like, the, the, the popular, and I hate to say popular, but it was, like, way of aggression in the ancient Near East, usually was something like this. Like, typically, um, the, for instance, like, the, the Egyptians were notorious for this. The Egyptians, like, whenever they would win a battle, the men who remained that, that like, were still alive, they would actually rape as a way to further demoralize them. Like this idea of, like, going in and, and just, like, knocking down this other guy it was a way to show, listen, like, we don't have hospitality here. We don't want you here. We want nothing to do with you. In fact, what we want to do is completely, like, violate you and kick you down so that you'll go home and you'll tell other people, don't go there. 
And that's what's going on in this story. Like these guys have surrounded the house because they want to just completely violate this guy to, to make it so he'll go back and go, guys, don't go to Gibeah. That's what they want. But like what we're about to see here, again, there are no heroes in this story. And I just need you to know that. Like, no, like this, is, this story is to show just like the absolute tip where you would go, man, Israel has stinking lost their way. And so here's what happens, okay? And so they're pounding on the, the door, like, throw out the guy to us. And here's what it says. The owner, this was the old guy whose house was, of the house went outside and said to them, no, my friends, don't be so vile since this man's my guest. All right, listen, like, what I care about, like, this guy's my guest, so I need to take care of him, right? Don't do this outrageous thing. But again, like, we're about to see, like, how far this guy has fallen. So he says, look, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. I will bring them out to you now. And you can use them and do to them whatever you wish. But as for this man, don't do such an outrageous thing. Like, my gosh, that's disgusting. But it doesn't stop. But the men would not listen to him. So the man, the unnamed Levite, took his concubine and sent her outside to them. And I'm going to cut it off right there. Because even I've got limits for what I'll talk about in church. Suffice to say, it's bad. It's really bad. And in the morning, the crowd is gone. And the unnamed Levite opens the door to find his concubine there dead. And he kicks her, like, wait, wake up, get up. She's not responding. And so he takes her takes her body, wraps it up, and goes home with the male servant and the two donkeys. When he gets home, he's outraged, not because of how she was treated, but because of what it means for his status, by the way. My gosh. And so he goes, all right, look, this should not have been done. I demand justice. You know, he's the one who shoved her outside. Let's see, it's about his image. And so, like, I demand justice. So here's what he does. He decides to write a letter to, to be released to every, like, clan head in Israel. So basically all the tribe leaders, he's going to send this letter to tell them what's been done over in Gibeah. All right? And so he sends this letter. I'll send it to these 11 other guys. I won't send it to Benjamin, but I'll send it to the other guys and let them know about this horrible thing that was done. But he goes, man, you know what? Letter just isn't going to cut it. I know it will. And so it says in Judges 19.29, so he took a knife and cut up his concubine, limb by limb, into 12 parts, and sent them into all the areas of Israel. In other words, you know, like the, the, the FedEx is arriving in the morning, opens the envelope, and there's a foot. That's why you should read your Bible. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? Yeah, so look. All right. So like, he goes, listen, that'll speak. Just in case you guys thought I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was exaggerating, here's a dead person's body part. And the nation is outraged. Like the, the, the tribal leaders, they get this like, oh my God, who, what? And so they, you know, they, 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 they decide, we cannot let this stand. And so, like, first of all, they're asking, okay, first of all, here's what we're going to do, okay? Like other, other tribe leaders, other clan leaders, other, other town leaders, let's make a commitment right now. Not one of us will ever from this day forward give any of our daughters in marriage to anybody from Benjamin. We're never going to do it again. We're cutting off Benjamin right now. No covenants, no, no relationship. They're done, but that's not enough. And so they amass an army, about 400,000 men, and they go to Gibeah. And they arrive at, at, at the gates of Gibeah there, and they go, bring out the guys who did this thing. 
But the Benjamites who live there have caught word that this is, that this is about to come their way. And so they go, we're not sending them out to you. Like, what? Like, well, number one, they haven't had a trial. And number two, uh, they're Benjamites, not the other tribes. You have no jurisdiction here. We'll take care of them, not you. So now they're going back. You better send them. We're not going to send them out. You better send them out. We're not going to send them out. Just back. Like the, adre- like the adrenaline, the aggression is getting louder and louder. And not so finally just attacking. Everybody goes at it. Like, like I mean, swords flying, blood's being shed back and forth. I mean, it's, just, it's chaos. But the crazy part is this. The first day, the Benjamites actually win. They retreat. Oh, oh, okay. Day two, they go at them again. And the Benjamites win again. But on the third day, they go, listen, we need a strategy. Uh, clearly, running in, guns blazing, it's not going to do this. So what they do is they, they fake a battle. And what happens is, like, they, so they're fighting. And then, and then, like, when it looks like the, the, the group from Israel has been defeated, they go running off. And people from, the, the, from Gibeah, they're like, oh, my gosh, let's get them. Let's finish this. So they go chasing them out of the city. Meanwhile, there's been another group of soldiers who's been waiting in the wings. So when the, the troops from, from Benjamin and Gibeah go running out, they storm the city, and they burn it to the ground. I mean, they just ransack, kill every man, woman, child, and animal in the city. Like, burn it to the ground. And now that, like, they're, they're amped up. There's this bloodlust that's just going, ah! Right, and so they said, like, let's not stop here. Benjamin's the worst. And they start going to every town that belongs to Benjamin. Every place that is under the tribe of Benjamin, they just waylay, complete, same deal. Kill every man, woman, and child, every animal, everything that belongs to the name of Benjamin. Just, ah! And they just kill it. And they go home. Oh, what a day. And then something clicks. Oh man, we uh, we we may have just committed genocide. And so it says this in Judges twenty-one two. It says the people went to Bethel where they sat before God until evening, raising their voices and weeping bitterly. I don't know if you've ever like been so caught up with anger that you did something you regretted. I'm sure no one here has done that. I'm gonna just multiply that to the millionth degree. Lord God of Israel, they cried, why has this happened to Israel? Why should one tribe be missing from Israel today? And I was like, oh my gosh, we've, we've committed genocide. God, like one of our, our own brother's clans, like we've, we've done something horrible. So they began to panic. What do we do? And, and one guy in the meeting goes, actually, guys, don't worry, okay? Because there's actually about 600 guys who went fleeing, like, who went, like, who went fleeing into the desert when this happened. Because like, they, they chased people and they realized what happened and they were like, oh shoot, if we go back to town, we'll die with everybody else. So there's about 600 men who are actually living in exile in the wilderness. So Benjamin isn't completely forgotten. Like, oh good. And they're like, yeah, but the problem is they're all men. And they go, well, okay, well, we're gonna swap. well we can't get them wives because we all swore that we'd never give any of our daughters to them in marriage. Well, shoot, well, what do we do? Okay, is, is, there, is there anybody here who... Um, didn't take the oath. Is there anybody who, who like, okay, among the Israelite ranks who did not swear to not give their daughters in marriage to the, to the Benjamites? They go, yeah, there's one group, uh, Jabesh Gilead. They go, okay, problem solved. And so they take another smaller army. They go to Jabesh Gilead. They kill everybody in the town except for girls who are old enough to be married. I mean, this is messed up in the Bible, all right? So they, they carry off, it's about 500 girls they carry off to be forced into marriage. And, and then they go out, and they find the guys, and they guys, we are so sorry, our bad. Consolation prize, here's a new wife. And they go, well, yeah, I mean, that's, and again, not 
prescriptive. Clearly meant to be like, well, why would anyone ever do that horrible thing? Okay. But like, well, that's great that you brought 500 girls, but there's, there's 600 of us. Shoot. Okay. So what else can we do? And somebody else comes up with a, with a, with a bright idea. They say, okay, listen, there's a festival that goes on in Shiloh. And one of the things that happens during this festival at one point is all the girls, they, they leave town, they go dancing together in this field. So here's what we do, okay? While that's happening, while the girls leave town and they're out there dancing together, let's have the other hundred guys waiting in the woods. And when the girls come out, they'll run up, you know, sling a woman over his shoulder, go running off, all right? That's exactly what they do. And they're like, but don't worry. Here's what we'll tell their dads. You didn't break your oath. Like, like you didn't give your daughter. He took your daughter, so it's Okay. Now, you're, you're giggling because you would go, who would ever be so vile? That's the last person's story in the book of Judges. That's right where Judges ends, right there with that. Who would ever do that horrible thing? And right before the book closes and we go into 1 Samuel, the author of Judges makes this statement, and it is a telling statement, and it is a powerful statement. And I want us to catch it together. And this is what it says in Judges 21, verse 25. It says, in those days... There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we see this in the story, right? Every character in this story does what he thinks is best. Okay, well, like, you know, like, I go after my concubine, and, and, and it's better her than me, kicks her out, she, she, is, she is abused to death. Okay, like, well, like, we, we got to get revenge, so we'll slaughter everybody. Like, everybody does what they think is absolutely best. And the author of Judges goes, here's where this came from. They abandoned the law of God. They abandoned God's way of life, because they're not that different from you and me, by the way. They don't like being told what to do. And so they were like, forget all of that. We'll do it our way. We'll do what's right in our eyes. And the result was absolutely horrifying. But this is not rare in human history. Because here's the truth. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Disaster, oppression, and heartache favor the unaccountable. They do. Disaster, oppression, and heartache favor the unaccountable. They, like, for those who redefine morality, redefine what is good, redefine whatever it is that they want so that their life suits not a higher standard than themselves, but what is most convenient for them. These things go hand in hand with it. Maybe not originally, maybe not in the first moments, but always eventually. When you stop answering to a standard that is higher than you, and it comes down to doing right in your own eyes, human history over and over again would tell us that it never ends well. And we can see it. Here's the, here's the crazy thing. Because here's the, like, the weird parallels that I see in this story. Okay? Notice like they're allowed to afflict because because it just comes down to they're the Benjamites, and the Benjamites are our enemy, and they just reduce them to a name. Okay, that's not that, or, or, or let's, let's say, listen, they're allowed to be horrible because, well, she's just a woman. Like, I mean, just like reduction of personhood, reduction of these things, and here's the crazy part, okay? Throughout human history, this is how you see oppression begin. It begins when the person is removed from their humanity, and they just become a term. Like, so for instance, like, like you think about in Nazi Germany, it's the Jew dogs, Right? Or, or, or with, um, with, Rwanda, with the Rwandan genocide, they began to call the others the, the, the crickets. 
and you remove the personhood and you just put that name on it, okay? And listen, and here's the problem that I see, okay? If I'm just being honest with you, what I see happening in our culture concerns me because what we find now is that we've lost the ability to disagree. And when it comes to, like, just think about how we deal with things as a culture now. How we deal with things as a culture now is we label those and so that we don't have to think about what they're saying. Okay, well, you disagree with us because you're homophobic. Well, you disagree with us because you're racist. Well you, well, you disagree because you're liberal. Well, you disagree because you're conservative. And you give no thought to what's actually behind the argument because it's just simply just to label it so you don't have to deal with it. And we begin to shift into this place as a culture where we're not that different. We set ourselves on the same slope that ultimately this is where that landed. Think about, like, like, even within our ranks right here, within Christendom, how many times as a pastor have, like, I'm sitting down with somebody and they've blown up their life, they've blown up their family, and they've blown up everything that they, they cared about, and they've just gone so far down this rabbit hole, they couldn't see it, they didn't actually want to be there in times prior, but they just started with a simple little thing, like, well, it's okay for me, because it's right in my eyes. How many times have I heard the line, well, I know the Bible says, but I just feel that blank. And it's not different at all. Because the God who designed you and designed me knows how life should be lived. And he put these things up not to oppress us, not to ruin our fun, but to protect us. And we are coming into a place as a culture where right now we gotta guard ourselves a little bit so that we are not, as Judges 21, 25 again says, doing right in our own eyes. Read it again with me. Look. 21, 25, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay, now, I, I, like, where the standard was simply this. The standard was what they thought was right. I feel like this, this, this verse isn't speaking well enough. Okay, let me just put it in contemporary language to make it maybe a little bit easier to understand. We could say it like this, and it would be completely on par. In those days, there was no agreed-upon authority, and everyone lived their truth. Yes? I mean, that, 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 I mean, is it not that? Like, what do you mean, live your truth? This is the line within our culture right now, yes? Where it's like, live your truth. Do whatever it is that's most true to yourself. Whatever brings you the most happiness, whatever brings you the most comfort, whatever brings you the most joy, you have an obligation to live your truth. And if you're not living your truth, then man, you're just being oppressed. You're like, maybe you're being judgmental. Maybe like you're just living with blinders because you owe it to yourself to get the most for yourself that you can. This line is so insidious. Live your truth. Like, look, I'll give you an example. Like uh, back in March, maybe you saw... Um, the media demigod, Oprah Winfrey, did an interview with, with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. You guys see that? I hope you didn't. <laughs> and, after, and after the interview, after the interview, you might remember there was this media firestorm that like, just, it, it blew up, because, and there's this big debate, because it turns out that a lot of the things that, some of the things, I don't want to say a lot, I don't want to overcharacterize, some of the things that Meghan Markle had said about the royal family that she had accused them of weren't true. And people divided, and here's what the line was. Okay, they would say, listen, okay, well, it wasn't true, but it was Megan's truth. In other words, it was Megan's experience, and so therefore we need to listen to it. And so you have people back and forth going like, well, hold on, if it wasn't true, people are being hurt by that. And she goes, well, well, well yeah, but like this is how she felt, and how she felt is the priority, and isn't that the, 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 the standard that we live on? Okay, how does something make me feel? My gosh, how many times have I gotten, like, if I'm just being honest, like, I've had to rebuke. Because people, like, who want to follow Jesus, 
And it's not that I'm perfect, but like, like we'll sit down and I want to do this. And I'm like, gosh, I really don't think you should because here's what the scriptures say, the scriptures that you say you believe in. Well, I don't like that. You're just being judgmental. And the, and, the, and the concern is more about feeling judged than doing what's actually right. Because here's the prevailing cultural attitude. This is what we just believe to our cores, even though many of us never speak it. But here's like the American mindset in a nutshell. It says the following. It says, I have the right to do whatever I want with whoever I want, whenever I want, as long as no one gets hurt. Yes? Like that, I mean, that's, that's America, right? Like, like, I have the right. Okay, I'm an American. I'm free. I'm smart. I'm an adult. I know what's best for me. I have the right to do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want, as long as nobody gets hurt. But here's the problem. In other words, anybody, I have the right to do what's right in my eyes. The problem is this. Um, you might be smart, but you're not a God. And, and, and while you can just, like... The problem's twofold. Number one, the problem is that we, ha- we have this ability to always shape things in the, in the most positive way to get what we already want. Like, you and I, are what, we're great salesmen for us. Like, you're an incredible you salesman. Do you know that? Like, like, you're, like you, me too. Like, we're great at convincing ourselves that we should have what we want, even though we shouldn't. The other problem is this. Like, well, as long as no one gets hurt, how do you know no one's going to get hurt? Like, well, like, we want to have that conversation where, okay, like, somebody's blown up their marriage and there's, there's been an affair. And, okay, I never meant to hurt you. But, but there it is. Like, you don't have the ability to know whether or not somebody's going to get hurt. And then, my gosh, like, you know, you decide, well, okay, I don't want anybody to suffer, but I am going to go ahead and have more than I should to drink. You, you get in your car behind the wheel. You kill a pedestrian. Well, you didn't begin that day thinking you were going to do that. Like, what, what, how do I, like, okay, like you said, I'm going to, like, how do we get there? Well, the problem is simply this. We decide, I know what's best. I will do what is right in my own eyes. And, and then here's the crazy part. Crazy part is that we then excuse it. Well, because I didn't mean it, it's okay. Even though the damage is done. And so you actually have to ask this question then. Who's hurt is more important? Like, if it hurts your feelings, is that more important than somebody else being hurt? And so I would just suggest to you the following, um, that we need a standard that's bigger than ourselves. We need a standard that's outside of what we want because the truth is we're slanted towards us, good or bad, all the time. And when we delineate from that, we do so to our own peril. Oh, if only there was something that would tell us how to live. There is. There are these words that offend every culture, every single one, that seem to be written outside of them. This book, we call the Bible. The words of life presented within. That's why it says this in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, all scripture. How much? All. Parts you like? Yeah. Parts you don't? Especially those. All scripture is God-breathed, meaning coming from the mouth of God. Like, ah, and is useful for teaching, and rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? Verse 17, so the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
In other words, God has spoken and told you how to live, not so that you feel like you're on a platform looking down at the rest of the world, not to limit your fun, not to make it to other things you can't do. No, no, because you find true life within his way of life. To be thoroughly equipped, because there's many times where we decide we should do something. We decide to do what's right in our eyes, and we're dead wrong. And we lack the ability to see it because of how self-skewed we are. And I would just tell you this, as we're coming near the end, and we're coming near the end. And I pray you just take this and lock this in your heart. Just because it's right in your eyes doesn't mean it's right. So what do we do with that? What do we do do with that? I think what we do is we pray something that this guy David, who we're going to meet later on in 1 Samuel, says in the face of that culture that we just read about, that way of life that we just read about. He prayed this in Psalm 139, verse 23. He said, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Like, God, I give you permission to look through all of me. See, he says, if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, look deep down and see if there's anything in me that you don't like. So here's the question we ask ourselves. God, is there anything in me that's not right in your eyes? And would you show it to me? That's a dangerous prayer. But it's also incredibly life-giving. Because when you start to live God's way, you will find more joy, peace, love, and compassion than you've ever known. Because it turns out the stuff that God was trying to get you away from didn't limit your fun. It limited your life. Let's just take a second. As we wrap up today, I want to just pray. And as a church family, welcome back, but let's just take a second. If I'm, if I'm preaching to you today, and, you, like, and, and there's just things springing to your mind where you're like, gosh, that's off. I shouldn't have been doing that. Like, I've, I've been making an excuse to keep this here. I've made an excuse to, to do that there. Um, right now, let's just maybe assume that's the finger of the Holy Spirit just pushing your heart, not because he's mad at you, not because he wants to throw stones, but because he loves you and he's concerned about you. Right now as a church, I want to just inv- invite you all. Let's, let's just pray together. God, search our hearts. See if there's anything in us that's offensive to you. See if there's anything in us that's not right in your eyes because you know more than us. Or if there's anything in me, if there's anything in anybody here that, that, that you go, that's not good for you. Would you just highlight that to us now because we love you and we trust you and we know that your way is best. Now, here's the second part, Lord, we want to pray. Would you give us the strength of your spirit? Lord, you, you say in your word that the spirit you've given us, it does not make us timid, but as a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. So we know if you convict us, you will give us the strength to step out of it. So Lord, right now, for anybody who's going, all right, I see it, but I don't know what to do. Would you give them the conviction to follow through on what they know is right? Would you give them the conviction to, to, to step out, to, to move out, to turn from, to do whatever they've got to do so that they do not stay in rebellion against you, they do not stay in living what's right in their eyes, but in their passionate love and pursuit of you, who is better life, they choose to make the hard choice. 
Father, I ask you now in Jesus' name for the power of the Holy Spirit to go forward and create resolution. Lord, we as a people choose to repent of our sin and turn to you. We need you. Now, hold on. Right before you finish praying, you just need to hear this today because what I am not saying, and some of you just need to hear this, is that you can somehow earn favor from God. I am not saying that if you just get yourself together enough, God will like you. Now, that is not how this works. Here's the truth. You and I are sinners by nature. It's what we do. We inherently rebel against God, but God has looked at you and looked at me with compassion and love. And so where we fell, where we didn't measure up, Jesus did on our behalf. God sent his son Jesus into the world so that Jesus lived the life that we never could. And then he died in our place. He died. He took on himself the wrath that we deserve to make us right with God. Jesus shed his blood to make you into a new person, to wipe away your sin, to forgive you and give you a new start with God. And today, if you don't know Jesus... If you would say, all right, you know, like, I, I, I'm religious, I kind of believe this, but I don't know him. I want you to right now, in this room, just shoot your hand. If you would say, I don't know Jesus, or, okay, maybe you'd say, I, I've been, I haven't been walking with him, and I want to come back. Right now, in this room, if that's where you are, shoot that hand up. All right, if you're watching online, next thing, if that's where you are, I want you to stretch your hands towards the screen, and we're going to pray together, and we're going to seek him, and here's what we're going to say. We're going to say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. God, I believe you sent Jesus to die for my sin. And I believe you raised him from the dead so that I can have new life with you. Lord, I'm sorry for rebelling against you. I'm sorry for doing things my own way. I ask you, please come into my life. Wipe away my past. Fill me with your spirit. And show me how to follow you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.